This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. That being said, um, I want to dive into this text. So, this text here in John 6, verses 1 through 40, it's a well-known text, right? There's a piece of it that's well-known. Um, so off the pack, this is the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, right? Now, who inside here is familiar with that text? Just, just so I can make sure. There's only a, I thought more people would be familiar with that text. Don't worry, I got your back. What I'm going to do is I'm going to walk you through half of that, because we're not going to read all the way from 1 through 40, all right? So, let me do, I'm going to walk you through the part that, that most people inside here know, right? <clears throat> and I'm just going to paraphrase it and just tell the story. But I want you to follow as I'm telling um, the story. So, we're all on the same page with everything that's happening here, okay? So, in the story where Jesus feeds um, 5,000, over 5,000 with, with just five loaves of bread and, 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 and a couple pieces of fish, there's, there's, there's something that sets this up, right? Right before this story starts, Jesus had just uh, finished doing healing on the Sabbath, right? He had just finished doing healing on the Sabbath, and it caused a huge commotion. A lot of people came out. There was this debate between Jesus and some of the Pharisees on whether or not he could do healing on the Sabbath and all this type of stuff. And a large crowd started to build up. Because people are hearing about what happened and stuff, and they're seeing what's going on, and, and, and they're thinking, yo, this is guy, he's healing people, and then he's doing it on the Sabbath. And a massive crowd started to build up. Now, Jesus, seeing this crowd that's, 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 that had built up, decided that he wanted to, to get away from the crowd. He wanted to, to, to move. So what Jesus do, does is him and his disciple, they, they cross over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. They go to the far shore because they want to try to get away from, from all of this crowd. So they leave, and then they, they go up into this mountain that's over here. So Jesus is chilling inside of the mountains on the side with his disciples, they're there and they're talking. And while they're talking with one another, what Jesus, is no, what Jesus notices is the crowd is coming. The crowd followed him because the signs that he displayed when he was healing the sick. You see, every single thing that Jesus did was to display a sign, right? To, dis- to display a sign of something um, important. So now the crowds are following him, and, and, this, and the crowd are, 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 are coming, and Jesus sees the crowd coming. It's like a stadium full of people that's, that, that's coming. Jesus sees them, and then Jesus um, gets all funny with his boy Philip and decides to test them, right? See, Philip was from this area, right? So Jesus turned to Philip, he was like, yo, Philip, Yo, hey, you know any stores nearby we can go buy some, some food for all these people? And Philip was like, really? 
It feels like even if we had eight months' worth of salary, we wouldn't be able to even feed all these people. Jesus, you're tripping, right? In some of the texts, it says, it says, it's, it's, in some of the texts, it said that, that one of the disciples was like, yo, let's just send them home. Why we got to feed everybody? Send them home. They can eat at their houses, right? And then, so, so they're like, no, we, we can't afford this. We don't have enough money. Send them home. And Jesus was like, nah, son, I got this. I got this. Now, they're having this debate on what you do. Jesus is playing around with them. He knows exactly what he's about to do. And by this time, the crowds have gotten to them. They're all around there. And Jesus is like, yo, yo, what we got with us, what we got, tell me what we got, all right? We're going to feed these people what we got, right? So um, Peter's brother, he goes looking around, and Peter's brother like, yo, there's this kid, right? So there's this kid that's there, and the kid is like, yo, y'all can have my food. Now, I love kids, right? They're so generous. Jesus is like, yeah, that's what's up. And he takes the kids' food, right? And, 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 and he gives the instructions for everyone to sit down, right? So, so, so all the men, they take a seat, and, and, and then Jesus gives thanks for the food. Now, I want you to follow me. Then he starts to break the loaves of bread and give it to the people. He does the same thing with the fish. And then what he does, he keeps breaking the bread off and keeps breaking the fish off and handing it out and stuff. And he lets everyone eat till they were full, right? This is what it says inside of the text. I'm just, I'm, I'm, it says he lets everyone eat until they were full. Let's keep eating. And then when, when it was full and they didn't, they didn't want to eat no more, he had the disciples collect the leftovers so that nothing would get wasted. Now this Five small loaves of bread and two small fishes ended up yielding 12 baskets of leftovers, right? Now, like I said, he knew exactly what he was doing way back when he asked Philip, where are you going to buy some food from? He knew they didn't even have enough money to cover the food. He knew he was going to perform Another sign by multiplying the bread and the fish to feed the people. He knew exactly what he was going. He knew there was going to be this young boy that's going to be really, really generous. And he knew he was going to use that generosity to turn around and multiply generosity. He knew he was going to do that. You see, in the Gospels, the Synoptic Gospels, this is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, these Gospels are... are they talk specifically about Jesus' life and ministry, right? Matthew is talking about it. Luke, John, and, 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 and Mark, they're talking about it. But each person is writing these things down um, from their vantage point, right? From, from, from how they seen it, how they experienced it, the testimonies that they heard from different people. And, 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 and as they're writing it down, they, 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 they write it down in a way that it, it impacts them the most on one end. Some of them, like, they will include certain details because that detail means a lot to me and it stands out. And then another thing is, depending on who they was writing to, they would decide what they would write and what they wouldn't write. They only had but limited amounts of paper and stuff or scrolls that they would write on. But whatever it is, they only had limited amounts. So they, they, it was very intentional with what they included and what they didn't include, depending on 
the audience, if they was writing to Jews or they were writing to Greece, they were writing to someone that didn't know Jesus was, was God or struggled with him being Messiah, this um, helped to shape and mold what thing they would include, what things they wouldn't include. As a matter of fact, not all the, the Gospels um, included all the same events. Some of them, it'll be like one gospel had this event, but the other three didn't have it. Or all three of them have this event, but one of them didn't have it. Sometimes two had it and two didn't. But this event, the feeding of the 5,000, everybody included this one. It's the only miracle that's recorded in all of the gospels. It was a, it's a really big Miracle and it was really, really significant. Now, they all include, and like I said, it's unique in how they all include it because, well, John's is really, really unique in particular because he continues to tell what happens after the miracle. He lingers there. All the other gospels, when they get done talking about this miracle, they go on to other things and start talking about other events. But John is like, man, they need to know what happened afterwards. So he continues to talk. You see, afterwards, the crowd, you see, the crowd, after the crowd saw the signs, right? They saw the sign and the sign of the what that was that was shown by the by the food being multiplied, they started thinking to themselves. They started thinking he must be the promised prophet that we've been waiting for. You go inside the text, you'll see there, and they start debating with themselves. He must be the prophet we was waiting for. Now, the problem is the common thought, no matter what sect you came from, um, whether you was um, a Pharisee or whether you was a scribe or whether you was, um, you know, no matter what sect, you, 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 you came from, the, the, the common thought was when the promised prophet or Messiah would come, he would lead the people in an uprising to overthrow the government and forcibly become king. They all thought that. And Jesus could see the intent inside of their hearts. He could see what was working inside of their mind that they wanted to do just that. They was going to Take him and force him to become king. It was like, listen, he's about to go to, I think that's him. We're about to take over. He could see that working inside of their minds. Now, if there's anything that we know about crowd mentality today, we could look today and we could look at crowd mentality and crowd mentality can sweep you away in a current that has nothing to do with God. We see it on social media. We see it in life. The crowds are running the day. Now, it may be addressing some honest issues that are close to the heart of God, but the way it's being handled and addressed is in a direction that goes away from God. You see that happening. Like, the truth is, he was the promised Messiah. He was the promised um, um, king. That's the truth. You see, oftentimes, the crowds aren't considering God's way, God's direction. They just want to move and in that end up trampling over truth in the process. Jesus knows this. And just studying what he does is like something I wish most of us do. You see, the best thing to do is disconnect from the crowds. Don't trust them crowds. 
And that's exactly what Jesus did. He's like, I'm not letting the crowd lead me in what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit is going to lead me on what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit is going to lead me in the timing, the hows, the whos, the whats, the wheres. The crowd is not carrying me. Let's dip. He senses what they wanted to do, and he disconnects from the crowd. So him and his boys, they go up inside the mountains. They're like, all right, they sort of distracted, trying to plan and plot. Let's go out to the back door. And, then, and, and they go, and they dip, and they go back up in the mountains. Now, later on that night, he sends his disciples to go jump in the boat and start heading across the river. You see, they, Jesus wanted to go to Capernaum, Right? But in order to go to Capernaum, you had to get across the river. So now nighttime comes, and he sends his disciples, yo, go jump in that boat. They only had one boat with them. Go jump in the boat and go head across the river. So the disciples leave. They go jump in the boat. They go head across the river. But Jesus stays, and he stays praying inside of the mountain. Now, when Jesus is done praying, they were like three to four miles out in the river by this time. So Jesus is done praying, and Jesus is like, okay, let me head over. Let me go across the river. I'm just going to meet them there. And he starts walking across the river, all right? I'm connecting some stories here, right? He starts walking across the river. Now, he starts walking across the river, and his disciples see him halfway there, but they don't know it's him, and they get shook. They get crazy shook. I mean, just imagine they... The wind is blowing like crazy while they're on the river. Water is smashing against the boat. And then they see what looks to be a person walking across the river with the wind blowing and the water going crazy. And they're like, yo, do you see what I see? And they start freaking out, right? Because they're like, this is crazy. And they start freaking out, right? Now, Jesus, like I said, he was going to just meet them over here. So he was going to walk right past them, but then he sees them tripping like crazy. And Jesus is like, yo, chill, chill. It's me. It's me. Relax, guys. Chill. He slows down. That's when the whole Peter walking on water thing happens and stuff. And then Jesus gets inside of the boat, and when he gets inside of the boat, it immediately appears on the other side of the ocean. Now, some of the crowd... Back to this crowd, they stayed there overnight. This crowd was like, they was about it. They stayed there overnight. And they knew that there was only one boat there. Like these, these crowds were doing mad detective work. They knew there was only one boat there. They saw the disciples leave in the one boat, but Jesus wasn't with them. So they were like, you ain't going to fool us. Y'all can leave. We staying right here. And now it's morning. And they didn't see the disciples nor Jesus. But now more boats had come, so they say, okay, let's jump in the boats and head the direction that we saw the disciples go, hoping that we run into Jesus. Okay. So now let's stand and let's read, all right? We're going to be in John 6, and we're going to read verses 22 to 40. I, want us to, I just wanted you to hear the backdrop, right? But John does this thing where he... He tells us what happened after this, the crowd catches up to Jesus. And this is where I really want to focus at, on 20, starting at 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there. 
and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Of the boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father set his seal. Then he said to them, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what signs do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give it spread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and, will raise, and he will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Now, we've been looking at themes and patterns inside of these stories so that we can examine how Jesus loves. And so we're going in and we're trying to find these things. What are the things that a lot of times get overlooked? Because, man, it's the small things that, that, that build up, that show narrative, that show um, things that continue to happen over and over and over again. So that's what we go in, and we were trying to find these, these themes so we could see this, this is what shapes his love. In this text alone, the subject of giving, being generous, giving comes up at least 10 times. In this text alone, I'm reading this, and I'm like, dang, give, 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 give. Like, it's all over here. So one thing I know without a shadow of a doubt, giving is a character trait of love. We want to love like Jesus. Know this. One of the character traits of love, of loving like Jesus, is giving, is generosity. We see this all over, and I just want to highlight a couple of them. I'm not going to go through all ten of them, ten of them but a couple of them, starting with the boy who gives his food. 
He had five loaves of bread and two fish. The scripture said five small loaves. They wasn't like Subway sandwich loaves and stuff. It was like these small loaves, five small loaves, two small fish. Now, this is a typical peasant lunch or dinner. It could feed about one to two people. Typical food that peasants would have, right? Fish was readily, easily to get and stuff, and especially the small ones. But the thing that's interesting inside this this reality where, where, where John decides he's going to point this thing out. Like, most of us would struggle with being generous with the little that we have when we think about giving to a deficit that we have no idea how the little bit that I have can actually help there. We turn around and we look at, like, okay, I only have a little bit. And you want me to, to give up my little bit or you've seen someone that, that God is putting on your heart to be a blessing with the living generosity. You're thinking about the little that you have and then you're thinking about how big the deficit is. And then you start thinking, well, my little bit won't even do a dent to the deficit. And then on top of that, I would give my little bit. It won't help over there and I will lose out. And you think it's not going to be worth it. So I don't give it all. Most of us find ourselves there. Even when Peter's brothers point out the five loaves and fish, he says, that's not even going to go far. Some of the other text says, when, 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 Philip, when Peter's brother points it out, he says, all we have is this. That's not even going to go far. All we have is this. But in the narrative of giving, Jesus received the all we have is this. Jesus received the that's not going to go far. And in this narrative of giving, he looks to the Father and he gives thanks. Lord, I thank you for all that we have. Lord, I thank you for this thing right here. In this narrative of giving, he looks to the Father and he thanks the Father. After he gives thanks, he blesses it, breaks it, then gives to those who were seated, who were the men, they numbered 5,000, who turns around and gives to those who was with them. That's the women of children, women and children. So this number of 5,000 even easily jumps to 10. This is narrative of giving. Later in verse 31, you hear the crowd talking about the manna that was given in the wilderness. Then in verse 33, Jesus is talking about how he gives life to the world. In verse 31, you hear him talking about all the Father had given to him. All the text is riddled with this language of giving. But then it gets to a point where he has to clarify some things. You see, true love identifies God as the one who is giving. True love identifies this giving, this gift that comes from the Father. Hallelujah. In John 31 and 32, they're talking to Jesus then, and they're, and, and, and they're saying, Our fathers who ate the manna in the wilderness, as it was written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses, it was, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father who gave you the true bread of heaven. Hallelujah. You see, in Jewish tradition, 
when they was looking for and thinking about the Messiah that would come, they would always compare him to Moses. He would have to look like Moses, right? Moses was the comparative, but Jesus is like, look to God. Look to God. Don't make Moses the comparison. See, if Moses is your only comparative, you may miss God altogether. God is the one that's actually doing the giving, so look for him. You see, when you don't point people to God in your giving, when you don't point people to God in your generosity, when you don't point people to God in your love, you leave them only connected to you. Now, when they're only connected to you, then they seek more of you. Israel would continue to seek after Moses more than God himself. Moses would go up into the mountains and it's like, oh, Moses left. God must not be here. Let's build idols and calves. You see, Moses is it's finite. Moses is limited. Moses died. We are finite. We're limited. We give the food that perishes. So in John 6, in 27, Jesus is talking to them, and he tells them, do not work for the food that perishes. He's, he's trying to set their hearts straight. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Here's that narrative of giving, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. You see, we have to intentionally connect our love and generosity to God. Don't assume the connection to be clear. This is important for three reasons. First and foremost, so that God gets the glory. So that God is exalted. So that God is celebrated in the love that he gives to you. Secondly, it's so that they seek more of God and not us. He is the one that's infinite. He is the one that gives the food that ignores the eternal life. But you got to see the connecting. He'll use us and he'll get to give this thing. But if you see God, you'll see the eternal thing that's happening there. And then also for us. Here's the third reason we need to be reminded that our giving and our generosity actually comes from God, not us. You see, when you only connect your giving and generosity to you, then you give disconnected from God. And the more you give in your own strength, disconnected from God, not only do you grow in pride, but the more you feel the weight of your finality, and you start to self-protect and you start to withdraw because you haven't been given from the eternal source, which is God, but the finite perishing source, which is you. And this is different from acknowledging our limitations. You see, it's healthy to acknowledge your limitations because now you are aware of how far God carries you past you. And you are submitted to God's wisdom and direction on how far to go and when to stop. But when you're doing good things disconnected from God, the weight you feel isn't just your limitations, but your farness from God in it. You feel the gap. John 6, 27 to 29, he's talking to them. He says, do not work for the food that is perishing. Do not work for the food that is perishing. 
but for the food that endures the eternal life. And what he's saying here, don't let the food that perishes be the driving point of your work. He's, they're chasing after him. They're following after him. But they're missing the signs. They're missing the signs. And the food that perishes is what they're following after. This crowd has put a lot of work into it. They've spent the night there. They followed him. They jumped inside of the boats. And they, and they, and they came over the oceans, over the sea, looking for him. All of this only driven by the want of food that will perish. You see, everyone that Jesus healed would eventually either get sick or die again. And though these people ate till they were full, they will eventually hunger and thirst again. And this is why Jesus said, do not work for the food that is perishing. There's something deeper happening that you're missing. Let the food that endures to eternal life be the driving point of your work. The food that endures the eternal life is leading you to chase. The food that endures the eternal life is leading you to do. Don't just chase after what's perishing. In 28 and 29, they're hearing him and they're listening to what he's saying. And so they ask him. And it says, then they said to him, well, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus asked them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who has sent, who he has sent. The work that we do in loving others need to be connected to our faith in Jesus. Paul says faith without work is dead, but it's also true the other way. Work disconnected from faith is dead. That makes the difference between Christian love and secular charity. You see, our love and our work isn't rooted in humanity. It's rooted in the God who created humanity. Now, when you truly understand the essence of love, then you understand what's really being given is God himself. He's giving himself to you, and he's using you to give himself to others. Then after he tells them it's faith in him that should be leading them with work, they follow and they ask more questions. 30 to 33. So they said to him, then, then, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? For our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, Jesus responds to them when he talks to Moses. He uses past tense, perishing. When he talks about the Father, he says, gives. Even though he's referring to something that happened way back then, he connected it to something that continues to go. There's not an ending phrase there. It's past, it's present, it's future. The Father he gives endures to eternal life. 
When they asked, what sign do you perform? Now remember, he already told them, you've been missing the signs. And when he responded, he's showing them this. And he's showing, listen, all of this is connected to the narrative in Exodus 16 and 12. I want us to look at this. Look at what's happened in 16 and 12. The people of Israel are in the wilderness, right? This is the narrative where, where God gave manna. But look what God tells to Moses. He says, I've heard the grumbling of your people, of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you will eat the meat, fish, and in the morning you shall be filled with the bread, loaves. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice he said you'll be filled. This is the sign that he performed. So you may believe and see. See, he's more than Moses. He's more than a promised Messiah or prophet that's just looking for an earthly kingdom. He is the Lord our God. That's what he said. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. He wants them to connect the dots. He is the Lord our God and you've been missing the signs. I don't want us to miss the signs. Jesus connects his entire event back to this wilderness experience. And you notice that he does this a lot. In Exodus 16 and 8, Moses says, The Lord will give you all the meat to eat and bread you want until you're full. Now connect that to John 6, 10 to 12. It says, it says Now there was much grass, so the man sat down. About 5,000 in number, Jesus took the loaves, and when he given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples to gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing would be lost. I want us to follow this narrative of communion. This narrative of giving and let it lead into communion. I want us to see this thing. Continue to follow and see how it leads right into communion. See in John 6, 33 to 37, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. He said, I am the bread of life. When Jesus is breaking the bread and giving to the people, he was saying, I am the bread that is given for you. It says it later on in verse 47. He gets really, really explicit. He explains exactly this. I'm not going all the way over there, but when you get to verse 47, he explains this. This is the bread. This bread that I was given, it represents my body. And you should eat it because it represents eating my flesh. And when he tells them that, this same crew of people that wanted to make him king by force was like, that's where we draw the line at. And they all start leaving. And the only people that was left were the disciples. He says, is y'all leaving? They was like, where else are we going to go? You're the one that gives life. Man, as we get ready to for communion, I want us to see how God continues to give today. In John 6, 35 through 40, 
He says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that every one, the will of my Father, that every one who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see, Friday today, you realize that you're a little bit like, like the crowds. You've been following Jesus. You've been, you've been coming to church and you've been doing those things, but you've been chasing after what perishes. You haven't been chasing after eternal life. You've been seeing the things that are done, but you haven't been seeing what's really being done. You see, every single sign that Jesus displayed was a sign of his kingdom. And the people wanted to forcibly make him king, but he's already king. And they was missing it. They wanted him to sit on some earthly throne over some demonic earthly systems, but he's king of a whole different kingdom that will shape and mold the world as we know it. But they was missing it. I want you to see this God that's reaching out to you today and wants to continue to give you. And you wonder why you're never satisfied. And he wants to give you the food that never perishes, that will satisfy you. So you won't hunger, so you won't thirst. And he makes it really, really clear to him, this isn't even my will. It's the Father's will that you have this. He's the one that's actually giving to you. He's the one that's giving the bread to you. And I am the bread. This morning, as we go into communion, Oh, man, if you are that person, there'll be people over here that are, are dying to just pray with you, lead you back to the God of eternity. If you find yourself caught up chasing after the perishing when you need to be chasing after the eternal, and you want to continue to be that person what God gives to you so that he can give to others, and that you hear him offering the bread to you, him, Offering the Jews to you, him. I want to invite you to pray with us and break bread with us and sup with us and then worship with us. That being said, the tables are open. Let's sup with our king. He continues to give and he's good. The tables are open. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.